Welcome to another episode of In My Own Words. I'm your host, Corey Chen. And with me in the studio today, I have my friend, entrepreneur, author, chief of staff to the co-CEO of Aerial Investments, Victoria Watkins. Victoria, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Before we get started, I have to say congratulations. You just got recognized by Diversity Woman Media as a part of their uh, Elite 100, which celebrates the top African-American C-suite female executives. So yes. congratulations. Thank that's, you. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise. Thank you so much. Cool. So before we before we get going into the lightning round and all the questions, I have to ask, you, um, you've had an impressive slew of titles. <laughs> Senior advisor to the mayor of Chicago, deputy director for legislative council and government affairs, and now you're the chief of staff to the co-CEO of Aerial Investments, the oldest minority-owned asset firm in the country. How does it feel knowing that you've broken barriers and um, created a pathway uh, that so many folks that are coming up behind you can look up to? Um, it. It honestly feels unbelievable um, because as a kid and even in undergrad and law school, I could have never imagined any of this, but it is a reminder to um, one, always trust God and two, never limit him because you will have no idea what it is he can do. Um, so yeah, I would literally say unbelievable because I couldn't have put this uh, experience together in any kind of way myself. That's look that that's impressive and amazing. So my hats off to you on thank on you. a successful journey. Thank you, thank you. So before we get going, I like to do a lightning round of questions. Uh oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you just tell me the uh, the first answer that comes to your head. Okay. Uh, we will go crucial conflict or do or die. Uh, well, so I'm conflicted because <laughs> I love both of them, um, but I might have to go crucial conflict. Okay. Um, just because I can think of a couple more songs that like really um, just like lift my mood immediately. I mean, do it that too, but it's a couple more crucial conflict. I also really like that group name, yeah. like, crucial conflict. That that uh, you know that. Crosses many lines, I think. Okay. So, yeah, I got to go Crucial Conflict, but not by much. Not by much. Okay. Mm -mm. Mary J. Blige or Tony Braxton? Mm. You know, I'm going to go Mary J. because she is Bad Boy Records adjacent. Okay. And I, I rock with Bad Boy. But Mary, <laughs> I mean, just on her own is excellent. So, Tony too, but I, I'm going with Mary. Okay. Favorite festival in the summer in Chicago? Um, so I have two. Okay. Uh, one is the West Side Music Festival, which I'm hoping comes back. Shout uh, out West Side Music Festival. West Side Music Festival, <laughs> yes, yes. All my favorites have, have been there, including Cruise Conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I also love Taste of Randolph. Okay. Yeah, so and definitely then, those two. And then last question is, what's a mantra that you live by? Um... I would probably say uh, one that my dad has shared with me and shares with me consistently is uh, we can't let our fears or any emotions dictate our actions. And um, I, I find myself uh, thinking of that often um, because, you know, we're always in situations where our emotions will make us feel a certain way and lead us to think that we should respond in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but we know better. We always know better. So um, 
I try to keep that in mind that despite how I may feel in a moment, I have to think long term. And so I definitely try not to let my fears or any other emotions dictate my actions um, as much as possible. I love that. You know, one of the things that I always love to ask my guests that question because I'm like, I need a notebook or something <laughs> to, to write that down so that I can, I can adopt all of these mantras into my own life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So now let's get into the meat of the interview, which I'm really, okay. I'm really excited about. <laughs> okay. um, let's start. So I like to start these conversations talking about upbringing. Um, I think it's really important in thinking about how um, your upbringing has shaped you into who you are. And so you grew up on the west side of Chicago mm -hmm. before moving with your family to uh, Broadview, Illinois. Yep. And so my first question is, how has the west side shaped you into who you are and ultimately into the pathway that you blazed for yourself? Um, the west side has shaped me in a lot of ways. Um, it is a foundation that's really important to me. So... Um, and it, it reminds me always of hard work and greatness. Mm -hmm. And so my parents met at Resurrection Grammar School. My mom was a first year teacher right out of college. And my dad had just come back uh, from the Marines and he was basketball coach. And he later went on to um, be head basketball coach and athletic director. But they met at Resurrection. Uh, we lived across the street. My grandmother worked in the main office, and my great-grandmother, uh, she was the cook for the rectory, and my other grandmother attended the church. So, like, that was, like, uh, that was the foundation for my entire life. I was like, resurrection was a foundation point for everything. For everything, <laughs> literally, literally. Like, my parents met in an exercise class that my dad was doing for the teachers, you yeah. know, because they, you know, wanted to do that, which... Now we think might have been a trick because there was no exercise class once my parents got together. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but yeah, that is like truly my foundation. So when I think of roots, I think of the West Side, living across the street from my school and my church. And um, that's where, I mean, I have friends still that I uh, went to Resurrection with. Um, a lot of my dad's former players, I still see a lot, you know, right now. He stays in contact with them. My mom's former students. And um, so the West Side always makes me think about, um, like I said, foundation and, and hard work because despite the fact that it was a seventh and eighth grade team, my dad's team was excellent. <laughs> and um, one thing that he instilled in them was a philosophy that he called PhD, uh, having a sense of pride, a will to hustle, and an understanding of discipline. Oh, I'm and, writing that down. <laughs> yes, yes. So, like, still today, these grown men, you know, they call him, they see him, they throwing up PhD, all of that. <laughs> and so those types of things really stick with me. Um, you know, and I have family still that lives on the west side. I don't I don't live far. I, I still rock west uh, where we, I live. We, we know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as my life and my career have uh, continued to progress, the west side remains important to me. Yeah. And um, it's something certainly when I was working in the mayor's office that I would constantly keep in mind. You know, I mean, I, was, I rock for my entire city. But uh, being from the West Side was always a reminder to me of who I'm representing and how I should come across in my career and, you know, who I'm fighting for and why. So it's, it's very important to me. I love that. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you um, got your bachelor's from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh-huh. I-L-L. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm a spooky, so. But, oh, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> And um, you went on to get your JD from DePaul. Yeah. Um, and a lot of folks might be surprised that you actually got your start in government 
interning for then state representative Karen Yarbrough, which actually opened up the door for you to go into uh, go to Springfield and end up on House Democratic legal staff. Yes. So talk a little bit about um, your journey. One, how you um, initially got uh, the opportunity to intern and then kind of your journey uh, that led you to Springfield um, working on house staff. Yeah. So, um, again, something that I could not have dreamt. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to undergrad, I was really excited about going to law school. I knew for sure that I wanted to be a lawyer. That's what I was focused on. And my dad tried to convince me that I should be um, considering finance. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm. I'm going to law school, whatever. (laughs) So we kind of compromised on consumer consumer economics and finance. And so I did that. I enjoyed it. It was great. And I got to DePaul my first year. And it was completely different than undergrad. And I was like, oh, crap, this might have been a mistake. Like, (laughs) what did I do? Um, But when I took a property class, uh, we did intellectual property toward the end of the semester. And I loved it. I was like, oh, easy. I'm going to do, you know, fashion law and trademarks and entertainment, business, media. That's what I'll do. Like, I'm back on track for law school. It's it's cool again. Mm -hmm. Um, Except I graduated during an economic downturn. So the practice areas that I thought I was going to be working in were either shrinking or not existing in a lot of firms. So I had a mentor who uh, helped me a lot through high school and undergrad when he found out from my grandmother that I wanted to be a lawyer. So he would take me to watch cases, uh, Bridgeview, 26th Street, um, all of that. And um, we went to dinner. After I passed the bar, me, him, and my grandmother, and he uh, gave me a bunch of ideas. I wrote everything down. Mm -hmm. And one of them was to reach out to uh, Representative Yarbrough because I had gotten a legislative scholarship from her. And he's like, you should write her a letter, see if she needs, you know, volunteers in her office. Maybe she knows about state jobs or, you know, anything, but tell her that she has uh, made good on her investment in you and says, now you're a lawyer. So I was like, okay. I mean, he gave me, I don't know, maybe 10 things. Like I said, I wrote them all down. I did all of them. <laughs> and she, <laughs> so I was like, what am I going to do? And um, she called me within a few days of getting my letter and told me to come in and talk to her. So I went in and talked to her. And she's like, well, you can come and volunteer with me. And, you know, I have some things that you can do. And so I did. I started, I think, the next week. And, um, this had to be, I think, maybe June or so. So uh, I've worked on a bunch of different projects for her. Uh, she was like, we'll get you some cards. You're going to be an intern. You're going to be special projects intern. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> I was like, I'm down. I will do whatever. And I really enjoyed it. And I got to work on um, just a, a plethora of things, learning uh, about how she was managing her political process, mm-hmm. also on the government side, legislation that she was watching from passing the legislature because it was the summertime. So so things that she was watching to see what the governor was going to do over the summer, um, it was really intriguing. And so when it came up time to go to veto session in the fall, uh, she told me she wanted me to go to Springfield with her. And one of the other girls in the office was that, had told me, she was like, oh, maybe she can help you find a job in Springfield. And in my mind, I was like, because uh-uh. <laughs> remember, I, I'm I'm a big city girl. Like I, like, I, I, I don't I don't want to go to Springfield. I, yeah, I was like, don't you pass the cornfields on the way there? Like I did that on my way to Champagne. Like I'm cool on you know I no just but I didn't say anything. But in my mind, I was like, absolutely not. Right. No thanks. But uh, I went to veto session with the representative, and when I tell you that they 
they were doing things, but it was like nothing compared to the things I've seen them do since then when working on staff and then working for uh, the mayor. Mm -hmm. They were just going through kind of like regular, um, you know, vetoes, mandatory vetoes. Um, I think they were working on um, like a map grant bill. That was the biggest thing. But it, like I said, it was it did not compare, you know, from an issues, you know, contentious level um, to the things I would get to see later. But I was blown away. I was like, this is so cool. And she kept telling me, like, oh, you can walk around the Capitol, you know, whatever. I just I sat in the gallery as long as I could. I just kept watching the process. It just really uh, drew me in. And she introduced me to people on staff. And they were telling me about what it is that they did. And I just it, I had no idea about all of these layers behind the legislature. Yeah. So um, she told me that I should think about applying to the legal team. And so I said, okay. And um, so, I mean, of course I did it. I told her, like, yeah, I'll think about it, but I did it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that she went back and forth for a session. Um, what I didn't know was that if you get a job on the legal team, you have to live in Springfield. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, it's a conflicted. Like they got yeah. me anyway. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, I did get the job, and I had to move to Springfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did that for one session. I came back up this way and worked on uh, Illinois Supreme Court Justice's uh, retention campaign. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to Springfield for another session. And then I uh, I knew I wanted to, it was time to get back to <laughs> Chicago. Um, and I wanted to, I knew I wanted to work for the city somehow, maybe in a department or something like that. I could not have dreamed mayor's office. Right. Uh, but Mayor Daly was retiring and Mayor Emanuel was coming in at the time. And so um, I remember meeting one of the Springfield lobbyists who was also working on his campaign. I'm like, how can I, you know, apply? Like, what's available? And he's like, oh, send me a resume. And um, one of the other lobbyists who worked uh, for the mayor's office, uh, who was working for Mayor Daly at the time, asked me, you know, if you're interested, you know, do you know this is what you should do? Give me a resume. You know, do apply here on this website and things like that. And so fast forward um, toward like the end of session, beginning of the summer, mm -hmm. uh, he calls, he's like, you should come and meet um, the director of legislative council and government affairs. So I met him and I met again with the lobbyists who were the in-house lobbyists who would eventually become my boss, met with him and, um, you know, they made me an offer to come and work in the mayor's office. Um, this is all following me probably a year prior thinking like, oh, I don't know if I want to be I maybe you know want to go. So I always the, another mantra: don't say what you won't do, because <laughs> you'll I've, be doing I've, it. I've learned that myself. Yeah, don't say what you won't do. So, um, so yeah. Next thing I know, I'm working in the mayor's office. Uh, I did get to move back to Chicago. I had to, Thankfully, right. you know, residency requirements. <laughs> so I was like, excellent. I'm back in the city. So um, moved back up here and then started going back and forth. Uh, uh, to represent the city in Springfield. So I did that for two years. Mm -hmm. And um, then next thing I knew, my boss was leaving. And um, uh, the director told me that he wanted me to take his place. And so I said, well, like, you know, any adults, I want to think about it over the weekend. Knowing yeah. full well, I wanted that job. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wanted that job so badly. And this was deputy director for legislative council and government affairs. Yes. Really overseeing yes. the mayor's Springfield legislative agenda. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that is um, the next level from what I have been doing and uh, working also. So protecting all of the city departments as well as working 
collaboratively with the city's sister agencies, so CPS, CTA, um, City Colleges, Park District, and CHA. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I wanted that job so badly. And when I got it, I was beyond excited. Um, but I knew <laughs> that that all traced back to going and volunteering and interning in Representative Yarbrough's office, now Clerk Yarbrough. Um, it was totally transformational for my career because I was supposed to be a fashion lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, before we go to your time at the city, what would you say um, was the biggest lesson that Springfield taught you about government and politics? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> many lessons. I could imagine. Many lessons. Um, you don't count votes the way you think you count votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely one thing. But um, it just definitely taught me a lot of patience. Yeah. Patience in uh, working with people with competing priorities, mm-hmm. um, people work, working together with the same priorities, um, a lot of personalities, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so um, definitely taught me patience in, in many ways. And whether that's, it's going to take you three hours to get down there, no matter what, and it's going to take you three hours to get home, no matter what. So Was that, that, was that your zen time? Too? That was zen time, definitely, <laughs> definitely. You know, I mean, every car concert was sold out. So um, it was definitely zen time on the way and on the way back. But patience is for sure a major lesson I got from working in Springfield. Okay. So you, so you touched on some of my next question. Uh, it was actually the perfect segue for it. Uh, you left Springfield and spent – nearly eight years in, in the mayor's office, first uh, working on staff for the Springfield team before ascending to deputy director over Legislative Council and Government Affairs. And then you uh, eventually became senior advisor to the mayor of Chicago, yeah. which is huge in itself uh, during his last two years in office. And so, one, walk, walk us through what was being senior advisor like? How did you get the, how did you get the offer? And um, what was uh, what was the biggest lesson that you learned from that? Because that now is a much different role with a much different type of um, viewpoint on the entire city, right? And so you, the mayor, is looking at you to advise him on a multitude of different issues. And so, how did you how did you navigate that? Yeah. Um, again, unbelievable because <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't make the leap in my mind from being legislative counsel to deputy director because that was the next step that made sense. But um, getting to be senior advisor, for one, like one of the greatest honors of my career, for sure. Um, It was a wonderful opportunity to serve my favorite city, the greatest city. Uh, Today is the city's birthday, (laughs) you know, Um, and to learn from a mayor like Rahm Emanuel, who had been a staffer himself, had been a senior advisor himself. So it gave me a front row seat to uh, staff a staffer, kind of. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, to your point, I got to learn a lot from the viewpoint of seeing things across the entire city, mm-hmm. uh, not just still some of the legislative things, but also having the trust of the mayor to work on business development issues and neighborhood policy yeah. and working a lot with our Office of Public Engagement and the other senior staff members. And being in those senior staff meetings are things that I often would say to myself, you know, they're going to put this on TV one day. They're going to write books about this. And I'm going to tell them how I I tell people how inaccurate it is because I was sitting (laughs) in that room and I know like this is actually how it happens. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that blew my mind because I I love history. I love Chicago history. So when I watch things about 
you know, administrations prior to ours, even going back into like early administrations in the, you know, late 1800s and early 1900s, a lot of stuff is very much the same. <laughs> but then I think, you know, going forward, the, the same thing will happen to me. Now, I don't think they're going to be, my name's not going to be in there, but the issues are going to be things that I will know about and be able to say like, oh, I, you know, I did have some background in that. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it just was very humbling and also just exciting and invigorating. Like I remember being in a senior staff meeting once and I can't remember who it was who called, but the mayor's assistant comes in and tells him that, you know, such and such was on the phone. And he's like, V, can you just go talk to them? And I, in my mind, I was like, I'm taking your call, <laughs> like, on your behalf? I'm, okay. So I went and I did it. And when I came, I came back in the room and he's like, everything good? I said, I was like, yeah, it's all good. And But in my mind, I'm like, I cannot believe that this happens. Uh-huh. So, um, and it was it was definitely a next step from having that same experience in Springfield as deputy because um when that was first announced i had a few people tell me you know you the mayor down here and i was just like you know <laughs> kind of jokingly and they're like no when we need to know what the city wants what the city needs what your position is people are going to come ask you and when That's there are certain true. meetings to be had and this happened also in senior advisor you're in here representing the mayor mm-hmm. and so whether i was in springfield or back later up here as senior advisor it sat with me a lot that i'm you know protecting and working on behalf of my favorite 2.7 million people (laughs) and it was important to me that I did a good job at that and uh you know sometimes it was tough to be in certain rooms but if anything I got my 2.7 like I'm I'm gonna rock for my 2.7 million people (laughs) and they will be taken care of in whatever room that I'm in so that's what I had to keep in mind because um to your point like I couldn't believe that I would be in a lot of the rooms that I got the, the honor to be in so, so speaking of that, you know, we have talked a lot on the show about imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. And you have sat at a table with some of the most powerful political leaders in the state and city. Um, and so did, did you ever have to grapple with imposter syndrome? And if so, how did you do so? We, I, I remember uh, the clerk Valencia was my first guest, and she talked about you and her going through the Capitol trying to override Governor Rauner's Veto. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah. so, you know, when you think about the weight of the, that type of responsibility and folks are looking at you to be a leader in that in that regard, how did you navigate, especially being a young African-American female sitting at these powerful tables? I could imagine if there are moments where you're like, do I deserve to be here? Am right. I, <laughs> yeah. How, how did I end up here? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, how definitely came to my mind a lot of times. Yeah. And, and to your point about uh, working with Clerk Valencia, she and I would be in Springfield and be the only others in rooms all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, she would have to be back up here. So then it'd be me by myself uh, in a room again as the only other. Yeah. And, you know, you can't see it watching this episode, but I'm not even five feet tall. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I it, when there are like field trips and stuff like that in the Capitol, I'm trying to steer clear of the kids because mm-hmm. I don't want to get mixed into the into any lines <laughs> or anything like that. So add that, you know, looking sometimes childlike into being black and a woman. Mm-hmm. So um, but I sat in many rooms where I had to give myself that talk that remember, you're here on behalf of the mayor. Mm-hmm. You're here on behalf of the city. You know, Yanana knows you're down here and she asked you to do all these things. So 
Um, number one, it is always my priority to make my parents and my family proud. So when I, I have to think about that when I'm in these rooms. And um, even thinking about that, there's still the pressure of you know, me being certain or not whether I really belong yep. in a room where nobody else looks like me. And so, like I said, whether it was being senior advisor or deputy director, I had to remember my family, but also that I had a job to do and I know how important that job was. Mm -hmm. And I could not leave a room and leave the city unprotected right. at, you know, at any point. So uh, a lot of times I, I would have to just do it scared and then come out the room and be like, mm. I did that. I, I, yeah, it was fine. No big deal. No big deal. But then also, um, and Michelle Obama said this uh, not too long ago, I think when she was promoting Becoming, mm -hmm. about how you will also get into rooms and think that you don't belong and then wonder how some of the other people got in the room. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so sometimes I would have to think about that too. Like, I know there's somebody else in here <laughs> that thinks they belong, but they don't. So that that would kind of help my mindset too, but yeah, imposter syndrome had that you know quite a few times in Springfield. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. So right now, you are the chief of staff to the co-CEO John Rogers uh, of Aerial Investments. Um, let's talk a little bit about your transition from government now to the private sector um, in this asset management industry, which may, maybe maybe not is like super new. Uh, for for you to, to be able yeah. to step into, yeah. And so, um, how have you kind of navigated that space, and and now being recognized, we said earlier in the show, as one of the top female uh, black female executives in in the country. So, talk a little bit about your your transition into the private sector. Um, again, mind blowing. I remember <laughs> telling people when I was at the city, you know, oh my God, this is a dream job I never dreamt, mm -hmm. and now I feel like that's happening again working at Ariel because I couldn't have dreamt this um I think it's funny that I work at an asset management firm and my dad tried to get me to get into finance and I was like eh, okay I guess you know funny so, how it comes full circle right oh the fullest of circles yeah and I had to just you know tell him often about how he was right about things um but it um it's been really amazing to have this experience working at Ariel um like you said the oldest black-owned uh, asset management firm and very much a pillar not only in the Chicago community but in the financial services community period and so for me getting to refresh things that I did learn in undergrad because I did do part finance mm -hmm. um, and still do some civic engagement not to the level of working for the city but a little bit because um, social justice and uh, minority parity and um, uh, participation in, in professional services is something extremely important to John. And, you know, he's been called the godfather of business diversity, <laughs> and he's absolutely that. Um, so it's been great for me to learn from him uh, firsthand, you know, being in meetings with him, and then at some points even being in meetings on his behalf, um, preaching his message and making sure that, number one, People understand people of all races understand that minorities can do things with their hands. They can also do things with their minds. Absolutely. And um, so I have taken on his message, and I'll tell it to any and everybody I can. Um, learning about business diversity compared to supplier diversity has been really important too, because a lot of times uh, minority-owned businesses get relegated to 
uh, construction and catering and uh, janitorial services, mm-hmm. security, things like that. All very important industries, yeah. absolutely. But um, the profit margins are not the same as they are for professional services. Yeah. And so, you know, as a consultant, as a lawyer, as an asset manager, as an architect, um, you know, doing advertising, media, things like Absolutely. that, your profit margins are way higher. And that's how you are able to build wealth. Mm-hmm. That's how we can close the, ra- the racial wealth gap is give access to minority owned companies and professional services, as well as uh, the traditional industries. Um, he has given me this phrase, which I love it. He said it's a modern day Jim Crow to let the black and brown people do the cooking and cleaning while uh, the majority gets to do the wealth building jobs in our economy. Because yeah. that's where all the wealth and power is. Absolutely. You think about the richest people in this city and the state and across the country. What industries are they in? They're in professional services. And you mm-hmm. think about the buildings downtown. They're named after financial services uh, companies. So um, learning that and then also getting to learn more about mutual funds because those those the product that we have. We have mutual funds and separate accounts. Um, we also just launched a private equity subsidiary in um, it's in our New York uh, off, out of our New York, one of our New York offices. And um, just learning, too, about what our institutional investment clients are investing in. So learning about. Again, private equity, uh, fixed income, venture capital, that's something that really has grown in interest to me. Um, Also, angel investing, and then being able to share that with people in my network, um, people who are well-traveled, well-educated, a bunch of letters behind their name, Mm -hmm. but because of the racial wealth gap, have no idea about these wealth-building opportunities, and they should. So it's sort of bittersweet because um, I hate the fact that we're just finding out about it. They shouldn't be finding out about it for me, <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm also glad to um, be able to share it with people, and whether it's people close to me or otherwise, um, to let them know you know, what we should be looking at, looking at and what we should care about so that we can move ourselves forward and, again, close in the, the wealth gap because we deserve to have wealth and power, too. My, my final question of, of this show is, who is Victoria Watkins in your own words? Oh, um, hmm. I would say Victoria Watkins is hardworking, mm-hmm. diligent. Um, I try to be vibrant and bring joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love to, Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I love to see people smile and make them smile. I like making people laugh. <laughs> Um, and, um, uh, I think those are the main things. Yeah. Uh, dedicated. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm in on something, I'm all in. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, before, before I let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't say you're also a published children's author and you have your own line of teas, Joy and Magic Tea. So I want to make sure that I, uh, promote that for you yes as well. thank you thank you <laughs> yes joy and magic tea nine loose leaf tea flavors uh any variety that you're looking for we have we have something for all your taste buds mm-hmm. uh i know a lot of people say i only drink tea when i get sick you're not drinking the right tea <laughs> <laughs> um plus i have uh recipes where you could take your tea up a level you can pair your teas with spirits mm-hmm. or use tea as the liquid in your smoothie or just make other tea infused drinks so uh joy and magic is 
tea, but it's more than just tea. And um, yeah, my children's book, Little Valerie and Her Big World of Options, is supposed to be a series. I'm not moving fast enough because the little girl's <laughs> named after my mom, and I, I should have been written the second book, so I got to get on that. But uh, the book is just about letting little kids know how big their world is and how many options they have. Because, uh, like I said, even when I got to undergrad law school, I had no idea that I could be any of the things that I ended up being. Yeah. And so I just want little kids to know that they have a big world and they have a lot of options. So. Well, Victoria Watkins, thank you for joining. And thank, thank you, you for being a trailblazer. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.